0: It's 11.24 a.m. on the 6th of May 2001 in one of the finest hotels in the world. You know the type, marble floors, grand entrance, money that you can smell when you walk in. To the right, a waiter is effortlessly carrying two glasses of champagne on a silver tray. On the left, the reception desk is alive with activity. Bellboys move like ants back and forth relieving guests of their luggage, as groups check in and check out. Outside, passers-by admire the collection of supercars parked for all to see. Ferraris, Bentleys, all looking beautiful in the spring sunshine. We're in London, at the famous Intercontinental Hotel.
1: I'm sat just inside the lobby, reading a newspaper. I'm wearing my grey Valentino suit a white shirt, and brown sandals. My dark hair is slicked back, framed with some designer sunglasses. On the table beside me is a pot of tea.
0: At the end of the lobby, her grandfather clock chimes twice. It's 11.30 now.
1: I fold my newspaper, tuck it under my arm, and step the 20 meters to the reception desk. And in my best English accent, I say, Hello, I'm afraid I've mislaid my room key, it's Mr. Jones, room 714. I smile apologetically, I'm embarrassed, it's not the first time I've lost my room key. I reach into my jacket pocket and pull out a passport.
0: A few clicks on the computer confirms that Mr. Jones is indeed in room 714. The man smiles again, nods his head in appreciation and steps towards the lifts. By 2004, Juan Carlos Guzman was plying his trade here in England. He was up to no good in the city of London, but the net was closing. From What's the Story Sounds, this is Con Juan, episode 3, Con in a Flash. It's 2020, the world is in the grip of Covid, and London is in lockdown. Despite the noise you can hear, these streets are much quieter than they might usually be.
2: This is essentially Mayfair, one of the most well-to-do neighbourhoods of London, and this was part of our
0: hotel beat, as it were, our old manor. This is Christian Plowman. If you remember back in episode one, it was Christian who set me on this quest to find Juan Carlos Guzman, and his obsession with Juan all started with an incident back in 2004. Back then, Christian was a metropolitan police officer, part of a special team called the Hotel Crimes Division. We're parallel with Park
2: Lane at the moment, and Park Lane, pretty well known on the old Monopoly board, um, and most of the big well-known hotels that we used to deal with are all in Park Lane. It's a very unusual environment to work in, to be honest with you. Take a look around you. This is like the most expensive real estate in London. Um, Very famous addresses, literally the Uber rich. There's no other, no other word to describe it. There's even a solid gold-plated smart car over there. It's insane. Absolutely
0: insane. There's more than a thousand hotels in London, and tens of thousands of guests every single day, and they were the responsibility of the hotel crimes division. The unit was a two-man team: Christian and his boss, an officer called Andy Swindles. I was like Andy's little mate. To be honest, I was his
3: like gopher, and you know, we Andy and I basically did everything together. Um, so we had a very similar mindset. So we were both very proactive. Uh, we liked getting our teeth stuck into things. We liked um, we liked coming to work and actually physically doing work. Within, within a few months, Andy and I had sort of fairly well established ourselves as uh, as you know people that would take take an investigation and go and arrest people for it.
0: Day-to-day they'd deal with high-class escorts fleecing their clients and doing a runner with their money. They'd see the occasional theft of property, hotel bellboys who'd sneak an item or two away and hope they wouldn't be noticed. Or there was the occasional walk-in thief. You know, when you're walking along the hotel corridor and someone comes out of their room and the door takes a few seconds to close. The walk-in thief sneaks in and helps themselves to whatever they can find.
2: Each hotel, especially the big ones back in Park Lane, they're a bit like uh... Bit like small towns, so they'd have their own um, police force, i.e., the security guards. Um, they'd have their own shops, their own facilities for both the staff and the guests. So they're pretty sophisticated. There are a
0: lot of moving parts in a big hotel. Unexplained deaths, drugs, suicide. No two days on the hotel crimes unit were ever the same. There's a lot of opportunities for people to do naughty things. Because they moved in high-class establishments, Christian's boss Andy liked to blend in, always turned out in a suit and tie. Meanwhile, Christian was more junior, less concerned about fitting in. I just used to wear jeans and a t-shirt. and
3: I had long hair. Um, and yes, the, the security manager of a very prestigious London hotel um, had a word with Andy one day um, and told him that I was forbidden from entering the hotel through the front entrance.
0: But soon enough, hotels would be clamoring for Christian and Andy to help them.
1: It's 12.15 and I'm back in the hotel lobby of the Intercontinental Hotel. In my pocket is 15,000 pounds in cash and a stolen credit card that I found in room 714. I walk to the concierge desk and order a private Bentley to pick me up and drive to the city's Heathrow Airport.
0: The man, who I now know to be Juan Carlos, reaches into his suit, flashes the stolen credit card from the room 714 and settles the bill. Then he steps forward through the lobby and out into the street. A moment later, his private car arrives and he climbs inside.
1: At Heathrow. I check in for a flight to Paris. I make my way through security, up to the duty-free, and spend £8,000 on designer gifts, watches and perfume. Within the hour, I'm in the sky and on my way to a new city.
0: A couple of years before Christian joined the unit, there'd been a flurry of thefts from some of the top hotels in the city, including one at the Intercontinental and another at the Mandarin Oriental where £40,000 were stolen. They weren't the normal walk-in opportunists grabbing money from the bedside table. This thief was inside the hotel room, calling security from the bedroom phone and asking them to come and open his safe. He claimed to have forgotten the code or lost the key. The Hotel Crimes Unit figured they were all committed by the same man. Two very big luxury hotels, well-known hotels in central London, and it was an
3: MO that we hadn't really seen before. They were obviously committed by the same individual, They were a couple of days apart, very close geographically. There was a very grainy CCTV image printed on one of those Polaroid-style printouts uh, from one of the hotels.
1: CCTV is useless for them because of the distance between the cameras and the face. All you can see is a very small shadow and it's very far away. Unless they could get the camera close to my face, it tells them nothing
3: so we didn't we had nothing there was nothing that, there were no fingerprints there you know nothing had been obtained in relation to witness evidence or anything like that that was that was going to you know be very useful and so this investigation had sat on on sat on the system as we might say um for for years it was always a bit of a head scratcher and it was you know, it was essentially unsolved
0: It seemed the thief had only been in town for a week or so, looting the hotels, and then he disappeared off to somewhere new. There were no suspects, no names in the frame, and no leads for the unit to follow up. In all likelihood, it would never get cracked. That thief was long gone. Christian remembers looking through that file thinking, wouldn't it be great to catch that guy? And then, in 2004, Andy spotted something in a tabloid newspaper that made the hairs on the back of his neck stand up.
3: The article in the Sun was—it was—it um, was like a, a column inch. It was hardly anything. It was tiny, a tiny, like no more than ten lines long. Hotel thief nabbed in Paris, or something like that. And they described in two sentences his MO, um, and it said he pretended to be the guest, got into the hotel room, and stolen a load of jewellery. Um, And it was one of Paris's biggest hotels. And we thought, blimey, that's... Well, I didn't think anything at first. Andy came and showed me, he said, have you seen this? I bet you that's the same guy. We thought, oh, okay, maybe there's something in this. There is some similarity. To be honest with you, what was in our heads was, if it's the same guy, we might be able to get a trip to France out of it to go and interview him in French prison. spent some time on the phone and managed to get through to, I think it was, they're called the BAC, I think it was the BAC, the Brigade Anti Criminelle in Paris, in central Paris. And, and I got through and spoke to somebody. My French at that time was not particularly fluent.
0: Nevertheless, the Frenchman on the other end of the phone understood enough to comply with Christian's request and sent over some information about their newly arrested thief. I think he emailed
3: me the booking in photo and i think the name uh, was the, the name on there was da- david soriano martinez what we did was we compared the booking in photo with this horrendously grainy image and being the excellent detectives we were we said yeah that's definitely him it's definitely the same guy
0: david soriano martinez well it was a start once we got a name
3: um, for the guy from Paris that's when the real detective work started um, we did checks with Interpol um, we did you know we did loads of work around the, the, the very brief information that the, the French had given us from what we can see he's got about nine different aliases that he uses we eventually came up with this name of Juan Carlos Guzman Betancourt
0: Finally, Christian had a name to go with his wanted thief, Juan Carlos Guzmán Betancourt, a Colombian. Bingo. The file that Christian received didn't say much. Juan Carlos was 28 years old, born in Colombia. His mugshot showed a man with a mop of wavy dark hair, Latin American appearance, with a distinctive mole on the bridge of his nose. There was one notice for a crime in the UK. He'd been arrested in 1999 at Heathrow Airport in London using the name Cesar Ortega Vega and using a credit card, which had been stolen from a hotel in Tokyo. It wasn't stolen. I bought it from a back street in Tokyo. He'd pleaded guilty on that occasion, paid a £400 fine from a wad of notes in his possession and walked out of court the very next day. And that was it. There was nothing else on his file. He was almost a ghost. No other entry to the UK, no information about his whereabouts. But Christian and Andy were sure that this was the man behind the London robberies from 2001. And now, he was in a police cell in France under lock and key. It was only a matter of time before the French authorities would hand him over.
1: Not so fast, Plowman, not so fast.
0: News of Juan's arrest in France quickly travelled, soon reaching the dusty plains of Vegas and the ears of Las Vegas cop Kirk Sullivan.
1: A director of security at a Four Seasons in Texas saw all the flyers and, and uh, circulating around that I had sent out and he read a story uh, in a British rag or whatever telling about the, this, guy, this guy. So he contacted the Four Seasons here and said could this be the guy? So they contacted me and said could this be the guy? For sure it could. There was a picture with it.
0: Tell me how you felt getting that call, opening that email, reading that article. Oh, man,
1: how would you feel? Just like, you know, a needle in a haystack and you found that needle. You, just, you know, it was, it, was, it was amazing to just get a name, you know, to start getting a real, a real live person. But no sooner
0: had the French police got their hands on Juan, they let him go. I think we
3: had very sporadic communication with the French and I think it was uh, one of the French police officers based at Interpol in London who eventually contacted us and said, oh, by the way, you know, your guy that you were interested in, he he got released a few months ago. So after doing all this work, we found out he'd only spent a very short time in prison in in France. Um, I don't don't know if he escaped or I've no idea, or he'd served his sentence, who knows. But we, we found out that he had he, left prison in France. He was no longer in, in custody. And, and it was at this point where we said, right, he's out and about now, so we need to warn all the hotels. And we did what we could. He's, he's going to come back to London, isn't he? He's got to come back to London. This is, we were very proud of you know working in London. And we used to think, oh, this is where the best hotels are. This is, he's been here before. He'll definitely come back.
0: And sure enough, That's precisely what Juan Carlos did.
1: From Paris, I went to Moscow to see some friends, and then I decided to fly to London. I flew to Heathrow with Russian airlines, and I arrived with a passport in the name of David Iglesias. Then I went out, picked up my bags, Took a taxi and went to the centre of London. I rented an apartment with a friend. His name is Pierre. He's French. He was working in the city at the time. He knew about my lifestyle. So, in the days he would go to work and I would go and do my thing.
0: And that thing that Juan did? Well, it was more robberies. This time at London's famous Dorchester Hotel. I remember being
3: uh, being in the office in the morning. I think I think he used some profane language and said, "Christian, you are not going to effing believe this." And I said, "What?" He said, "Come and look." So I came round and looked at the looked at the screen of the computer and RMSN, that's it. That's him, isn't it?
1: That's him. The Dutchess of London is where I've done this the most, because the Dutchess is very famous among the Arabs. You have to understand, a Russian an Arab, one Indian, I mean, they are all excellent customers. you see a Russian woman full of diamonds and charismatic jewellery? They are grotesque, but they are expensive. Indians are always carrying the gold, and the Arabs always carry exorbitant amounts of money. I went to the hotel and entered his suite, opened the safe as normal. I took out the money, the watches, and nothing else. I think one of the watches was a Frank Muller. And then Pierre and I left the hotel.
3: We were convinced this guy was, you know, the biggest, the biggest criminal on earth. Or certainly, the, you know, one of the most accomplished. So, yeah, we thought he was taking the Mickey, basically. And we were a bit annoyed. But also begrudgingly uh, astounded
1: by his, by his cheek. I like England. And I like it for making life impossible for those guys. It's a kind of revenge, I like to make the cops who are chasing me uncomfortable. I like to make Romanman uncomfortable.
0: Despite having a name and a description, Christian didn't know where to look to find his wanted thief. There's a saying amongst cops that if you if you don't catch somebody
3: that you're after, there's always tomorrow. And that was very much that was very much our way of our way of thinking. You know, there was nothing really more that we could do. Knowing just his name is pretty useless, especially for a guy that uses aliases all the time. Um, the only benefit we had was that we we knew what he looked like. We knew what the guy looked like. We had this uh, description of him with the mole on his forehead, that sort of thing, so um, yeah, it's just going to be a matter of time. Um, and we were prepared for that to be either a week, a month, a year, 10 years, whatever it is.
0: There were no other cases to rival Juan Carlos. Christian and Andy explored every possible way to try and find him.
3: On our sort of quiet moments we would sort of sit, sit around and mull over the Juan Carlos case and we would very 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 often we would joke oh wouldn't it be amazing if you know he got on the bus or that we were you know that we were sat on or if he walked into this cafe where we were sat at um, and it was like a You know, like a a, a sort of daydreaming. uh, We were like a daydreaming duo on occasion when we'd have these conversations about um, how incredible it would be if if this happened or that happened. We were almost uh, uh, subconsciously putting our hopes on (laughs) hopes on the fact that you know potentially one of us might bump into him, um, which
0: was you know incredulous to, to believe. In contrast, Juan Carlos wasn't giving the cops a second thought. He was in London, living with Pierre, and just getting on with the day-to-day of his mysterious life.
3: I remember walking down the front steps of Marlebone Police Station and I knew that Andy had Andy had gone out for a drink with somebody, he'd gone to, uh, he'd gone to some sort of leaving drink or something like that. And this was only about, I don't know, 8, eight o'clock off the top of my head. And Andy phoned me, and I thought, "Oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to want me to come and have a beer with him or something like that." So I remember answering the phone, and he said, "Christian, Christian, I'm behind him." And I said, "What, well, Andy? What the hell are you on about?" He goes, "I'm behind the Colombian guy. I'm behind him. It's definitely him. I'm sure it is." And I, and I thought, hand on heart, that he was joking.
1: It was like seven pm, so I'm going to pick up Pierre and we are walking and that's when Swinders passes.
2: So I ran all the way down here and I remember meeting up with Andy on that corner over there. Andy pointed out two men who were walking towards, essentially towards us on that side of Berkeley Square. All I saw was a tall dude with sort of collar length long hair Uh, in a long black leather jacket, a bit like um, a Matrix jacket. It was dark, it was raining, so, you know, there wasn't an opportunity to get a good look at anybody's face. We followed them, we were probably, I don't know, 50 metres behind them, maybe a bit less than that. They were walking properly, you know, at ease, casually chatting. They They weren't looking around or anything like that, so they weren't drawing attention to themselves or anything like that. And that, you know, that, that gave me, certainly gave me the impression that he was completely at ease.
1: We were the only people who were on the street, and at about 8 p.m. Swinders comes out of the corner and comes in front of us, passes next to us, and from there, we did not see him again.
2: And then they continued on, and we saw them go into Sainsbury's, which is on the right-hand side, just down there.
1: We enter the store. I was going to buy some bread.
2: We decided, right, we need to confirm who this whether is this Juan Carlos? Is it someone completely different? Because Andy was like chomping at the bit. He really was convinced, but he wanted a second opinion. That's like fruit and veg section by the door. And I scooted round one side of the fruit and veg section as Juan Carlos, as we now know, and the other man were looking, I think they were looking at apples or oranges or something. And I scooted around the other side, saw the little mole in his forehead, uh, thought, yeah, definitely that's him. In the meantime, Andy had come into Sainsbury's as well. And I sort of, I don't know what, I don't know what we said to one another, or, you know, gave a thumbs up or an okay sign or something like that. And then that's when we, we approached both of them. Basically, I went up to him and showed my warrant card, said, police officer, what's your name? Cesar Ortigozo Vera. And he looked at me and went, no. And I said, oh, well, what about Gonzalo Zapata Vives? And, he, and then, that was when the colour drained from his face because he thought, oh shit, something's, something's not right with this cop. <laughs> he's, he's telling me all of my aliases. And they said, are you sure you're not Juan Carlos Guzman Betancourt? And obviously, we knew that we had our man. And I said, listen, my friend, you're under arrest for burglary uh, in 2001 and this year. And I've reeled off some of the venues.
1: I remember they pushed me and started handcuffing me and all that.
2: When I said he was under arrest, I grabbed his right arm and sort of pushed him into the, into the oranges or the apples. And I remember them all spilling onto the floor. And what was in my head at that point was, oh, I felt sorry for the Sainsbury staff because they'd have to clean these
0: apples up. Juan Carlos, the man who had been running the world's police ragged, was finally under arrest. Back at the police station, he was booked in. The formal process of registering him at the station, taking a new mugshot, measuring his height, searching him and ensuring he had access to a lawyer.
1: They didn't tell me anything. They just took me to police station and then the interrogations began. Laman took my fingerprints and began to ask me questions.
0: The other man Juan was with, well he was arrested too. Christian needed to make sure that he wasn't an accomplice. He had no idea
3: who Juan Carlos really was. He had no idea about the crimes that he was alleged to have committed, um, and he was totally gobsmacked. He was I mean, he he kept saying, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. What's going on? Why? I don't understand this. You know, why have I been arrested?
1: I just told Pierre that if something happened to me, he should say that he didn't know me.
0: Christian and Andy found out that Juan was living in a small council flat in Lyssen Grove in London, just a mile or so from the supermarket. So they searched it. Bizarrely that there was an
3: incredibly huge amount of kids' designer clothes. So all in their bags with the receipts, the tags, you know, they've been fairly recently purchased, uh, Dolce & Gabbana. Um, there was a load of Prada clothing still in Prada bags. Um, and some, you know, none of it would have fitted Juan Carlos, none of it. Uh, we found jewellery, uh, watches and high value watches. Um, we found, um, and this is what I mean, but I mean, none of this was particularly hidden. This was like on a shelf. Uh, we found identity documents with Juan Carlos's photograph on, in, in but with different names. Um, of, of particular note was a Spanish Spanish driver's license, which we subsequently found had been stolen. And a Russian passport, which I remember was in the name of Denis Vladimir Kissiliev. I remember that quite distinctly. And I, was, I, I remember looking at this Russian passport because Andy, I remember Andy picked it up and handed it to me because I can speak Russian. And he said, what, 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 has this got his real name in it? And I said, "Oh no, because it says Denis Vladimir, born in Moscow, date of birth that would make him 22 or something ridiculous like that.
1: Swindles and Plowman are the only ones who have found some of my passports. But my passports are not stolen. They are my own.
0: There were clues too that Juan Carlos hadn't been planning to stay in London for long.
3: Then we found uh, airline tickets uh, from London to Moscow, which from memory uh, was due to the flight was due to depart in in two days hence. That there was a likelihood that Juan Carlos would have gone from Heathrow to Moscow using a Russian passport um, and and legged it to, to Moscow.
0: Subjected to a formal interview, Juan Carlos insisted that his name was David. He maintained that he was Spanish. Um, He spoke English immaculately. His English was immaculate. But as Christian and Andy gave him the chance to confess, he refused
1: to talk. I always say nothing. I always say nothing. It's, It's the other way.
3: Well, one of the things that you do is to try and find areas of commonality, and a very obvious area of commonality that we had with Juan Carlos was that we both we both worked in luxury hotels. Technically, um, we're on the hotel unit, and he's a hotel burglar. So we we you know we tried to engage him in conversation about you know the Dorchester, the Hilton, and Park Lane, and this, that, and the other, and he, he literally refused to speak. We were so disappointed. It was like a big anticlimax, to be honest with you, because we thought we'd got this massive criminal, but we wanted him to remember us. Um, and I think, I think we we're both mildly disappointed that he probably
0: didn't. Only outside of the interview room, when the tapes had stopped recording, did they get any kind of answer.
3: Come on, tell me why you did it. What was your motivation behind committing these crimes? And I was quite, an- I was quite animated and like in a friendly way. And I remember he. he I remember him turning my head to look at me, uh, and he just looked at me and said, shook his head like that, and said,
1: Mr. Plowman, you would never understand. And he had
3: this really, real sort of hangdog, sad expression. And, they, and then he never said anything else. Never said anything else.
0: It's nearly 20 years since that arrest, and that comment has stayed with Christian. What did he mean? Why wouldn't he understand? Why did Juan do the crimes he did? So now you know as much as I did when I first started this podcast. The backstory, the evolution of Juan Carlos from stowaway to celebrity and international thief. But where does the story go next? Christian and I have been trying to find out. We've trawled the internet for any news of an arrest. We've cross-referenced every alias against every court system we can access. There's no sign of him having been arrested for years, anywhere. Krishna said that he'd talked to some ex-colleagues, people who knew people who knew people, he said. Perhaps one of them would have heard something. Meanwhile, I took a look into the next chapter of Juan's life, one that began in a British prison cell and ended... Well, you'll have to wait for the next episode to find out exactly where. That's next time. Con Juan is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Daryl Brown. The words of Juan Carlos are played by Vidal Sancho. Music is supplied by KPM Production Music and Universal. The executive producer is Sophie Ellis. And our consultant, the man who kicked off this journey, is former detective Christian Plowman. What's the Story Sounds is the home of great storytelling. If you want to listen to more What's the Story content, you can visit our website at whatsthestorysounds.com. And you can subscribe to What's The Story Plus, where you'll find ad-free content, bonus episodes, and you'll get exclusive access to episodes and series before anyone else. You can find all the details on Apple Podcasts.